the blast from our past network. Talking back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back. This is the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. And joining me this week is co-host Dean. Dean, how is your October going? Uh, really good, Tim. It's going really spooky. Um, I'm having lots of nightmares, waking up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep. So that's a always good. It's always a good sign that I'm uh, taking in the exact right content. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very, very spooky. I did have an idea. I did have an idea, Tim, this October. You had an idea. I had an idea. Maybe it was spurred on by the content we're covering today, but I had an idea. We're was, on a network, right? Was it to murder pod- someone? It, it is, Tim. It is. Who, now, who follow the- me. <laughs> okay. Follow me here. We are a podcast on a network, right? Yes. There's a bunch of other shows. What if there was only our show on right. the network? What if we murdered we the would other get ones? All the listeners. Yeah. Just saying, we could murder all the other hosts and get hey, all of the listeners it's not the worst idea you've come up with right if we've learned anything from our content this week it's yes. that the very first thing you do in the sign of trouble mm-hmm. is murder murder yeah if we're thinking of getting more <laughs> listeners the first idea that comes to mind is murder yeah you ran out of milk murder <laughs> someone Take theirs. Murder your neighbor because they've take, got a carton. Take their milk. Problem solved. Done. Hey, you're watching TV and there's a commercial. So you go to the fridge to get a glass of cold milk and there's none there. Yeah. Murder your neighbor. Go across the and street. Be back. You have three minutes. Murder your neighbor. Yeah. It's very simple. Then you have milk. So that's a great idea, Dean. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'll talk to the other people on the network about it. Okay. See what they See think. What they think. Yeah, we, it's like a democracy. So if if fifty one percent agree, then we'll do it. Okay, great. Uh this is our second uh, little October, you know, scary episode. Yeah, we're doing three issues of Tales from the Crypt from the nineteen fifties. Bone chilling stuff. Back when murder was legal, actually. <laughs> yeah, back when you were just allowed to do it. Yeah, you could do all sorts of stuff back then. Yeah. Then the Comics Code Authority came in and shut uh, everything down. They outlawed murder. You're not allowed to have fun anymore. Uh, listen, we had a lot of fun last October doing these Tale from the, from the Crypt comics and the October before that. So we're yeah. here doing it again. Right after these episodes come out, we lose listeners and I'm pretty sure it's because they're going out and murdering people <laughs> right? or they're right. murdering each other or they're yeah. getting arrested for murder, but yeah. it's always a touchy time. And I, I always think maybe we shouldn't do this anymore, right. but there's so yeah. much fun that it's just worth it. Yeah, it is. And, and that's, uh, that's why the comics code got taken down eventually because, you know, people were like, well, the comics do make people go out and murder other people, but they're just so much fun. Right. I like to think somebody just went out and murdered them. <laughs> oh, Someone finally okay. did it. 
Yeah, maybe. This is not a podcast that condones murder, by the way. Uh, only in October. Yeah, only in October. We're just just saying, yeah. just yeah. saying. If you if you happen to run out of milk, you have options. Yeah. We're like we're, we're we're like the purge of podcasts, but it's just it's a whole month, the whole month where murder is okay in in October. Right. Yeah. It's October. We're allowed to do whatever whatever we we want here. It's the law. Yeah, get off our backs already. Yeah. Now, each issue from Tales from the Crypt is a collection of four short stories filled with horror, terror, murder, more horror, untimely death, voodoo, all sorts of voodoo, digging up graves. You got any? Uh, no, I was just going to let you go. You're you're covering everything. Lust. Deceit, mm-hmm. flesh eating, yeah, right. Poisoning, desecration, deception, people being buried alive, mm-hmm. people being buried dead. It's not, right. it's not as scary, but <laughs> no, that's just a regular thing. That but happens. then the un- the undead coming out of the earth, yes, and all sorts of other types of gnarly chaos goes on in these in these comics. De aging. De-aging, a new one. De-aging, a new one, brand new Love for that. these comics. Love that one. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think this far in. We'd get new ideas because you know they're recycling the same ones. This one was this this batch was kind of fresh. I felt uh, they definitely ran out of ideas. I thought in several of yeah. these, and then yeah. I was shocked to see that they really did have some really good new ideas. With a few. Yeah, yeah. So overall, I'm on board with uh, these yeah. three issues, but. It was a bit touch and go at a, uh, yeah. a, a few a few moments. I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll just stop reading. <laughs> yeah, some are completely flat. Yeah. But then some I'm like, okay, that, that was good. That was a good idea. Yeah. Now, these comics uh, were initially released in black and white in the early 50s. Oh. Yeah, the versions we're reading are from the 90s when the comics were reprinted in full color. Now, I don't think we knew cool. that before. I didn't know that. No. No. That's cool. We didn't know that. So the ads that they have in these uh, comics we're reading are from the 50s, but the letters section is from the 90s. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Now, we have uh, talked about the origins of EC Comics in the previous two episodes, we've talked about how the fuckers at the Comics Code Authority shut them down because they thought these comics were deemed too dangerous for the, the malleable minds of children. So yep. I don't want to get into any of that. But if you're curious to hear more, if you want to hear us really dig into the Comics Code Authority, check out uh, the previous Tales from the Crypt episodes and you'll get to hear all about that. Great. Now, Dean, last year... We had some fun reading some of the comments in the letters section. So I wanted to that do... That was fun. That was fun. I wanted to do that again, and nice. I found a couple of good ones that I would like to read for everyone. Cool. Cool. I was hoping you would. The first one is from Clifford, and he says, You, or whoever is responsible for the production of these books, are doing something that no other comic publishing house seems to want to do. You are writing up to your readers rather than down to them. 
By this I mean that you seem to respect the intelligence, desires, and tastes of your customers. It is regrettable that so many producers of mass entertainment, such as movies, television, and radio shows, treat the consumers of their products as a herd of low-grade morons and thrust upon them childish, inane, inept, and utterly infantile trash. Your organization, on the other hand, has consistently offered in your magazines well-written, highly entertaining adult stories which presume the reader's intelligence instead of insulting it. Wow. I like that letter. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's, There's it's, some passion <laughs> behind that letter. I like it because it's fairly true. Because these are they're touching on some real uh, sketchy business here for the 90s. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think what's tough um, is like because it, it's written in the in the fifties, right? So like we've talked about it before when they just like explain what the art is showing you, right? That feels a little handholdy, yeah. but like that's just the way comics were written then, you know. So um, I, I get it. I get that that's not you know necessarily they're not necessarily thinking people are stupid. They just think that's how you write comics. You know, you have to explain first, then you show the picture. Um, yeah, but other than that, there's some there's some heavy material here for sure. Yeah, and I think that's what he's alluding to, the fact that, you know, they're not trying to they're not trying to give you something that they think you might want or they think you might like, uh, like a happy ending. They're yeah, just exactly they're yeah. doing whatever they want to do and they don't care what you think. They're going to tell yeah. their scary stories. It's going to be full of all the things I mentioned before, and they don't care. You don't have to buy it. Hell, yeah, they did it so much that they got shut down. Exactly. So. Yeah, I think the happy endings is the big thing. Like none of these end happily, and they could. You know, some of them could wind up okay for some characters, and they really don't. They really just like drag everybody into the mud, which is uh, fun. There might be a couple happy endings. If a you, couple. If, okay. if you really want to, I mean, there's dig like into it. twelve stories, right? So there, there's probably a couple happy endings in there, but there's others that surprised me that they were just like not going to go for it. They're just like, and then in the end, everybody's dead. Yeah, or just like the thing that you thought might happen did happen. Did with yeah, and there are no twists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's let's maybe just say let's say which ones we think were happy endings if we get there. Yeah, sure. I'm only thinking of one. And I it, can think of one. It's yeah. a stretch, but yeah, hear me out. <laughs> okay. The man is living a terrible life. Okay. Yes. A terrible life. Now, uh, the second one here. I am a 14-year-old girl, and I want to know why there isn't more gore in your comics. I think it's because of the children who can't cope with the sight of blood. Of course, you don't want to give the poor babies nightmares. I guess I guess I'm trying to say sorry I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's okay to put more violence in your comics. If those pansy parents and children can't stand it, let them cry about it. Your readers are the real fans and are here to support you. Like the saying goes, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the incinerator. What? Hell yeah. Who's this 14-year-old okay, so girl who sounds super cool? Yes, love the ideas in this letter. Uh, she's a bit of a bully. She's picking on some people out there. She's uh, that that maybe you know she's throwing some rocks, throwing throwing some rocks at them. But uh, uh, yeah, I like I like the ideas behind it for sure. Okay, so I'm with her. I want more gore. There's not enough. Oh, gore. for sure. 
Yeah. yeah. And I understand yeah, that. I, it's agree. The 50s. I totally agree. It's the fifties. They're not going to have like blood splatter and stuff like that, but I don't know. Maybe it's time to reboot uh, tales from the crypt or maybe it's even happened and I haven't uh, paid attention to it. I'd like to see some new stories, new twists and turns, Yeah, you know, more ways to murder people and let's get a little blood on the, on the pages. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So basically what we, what we do in case anyone's new, I just kind of read the synopsis of the story and then we just chat a little bit about it and say if we liked it or not, if it, uh, if it scared us. Ooh. Well, let's kick this off with issue 26. The first short story is titled Drawn and Quartered, which I think is a really fun name for this story. Yeah, for sure. Because being drawn and quartered is when um, your limbs are tied, each one to a different horse, and those horses go off in different directions, and your arms and legs go pop. Artist Max Moore is panned by critics for his paintings and resorts to selling all of them to a gallery at a super low price. Max learns it was all an elaborate trick so the gallery could get his paintings for cheap and sell them for a load of money. Naturally, Max decides the only thing to do is to murder the people involved. So Max does what anyone in this situation would do, Dean, and he goes into the jungles of Haiti looking to buy voodoo. Right, anybody in the 50s writing comics would do. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. I know. He's looking to buy voodoo. <laughs> it's, it happens a couple times in this entire book. Okay, well, let's just lay it out here. This fucking book loves voodoo. Loves it's like, voodoo. It's their way out. If they paint themselves into a yeah. corner, they're like, the person is going to Haiti or the person yeah. is from Haiti. They're going to go buy voodoo. Voodoo's going to happen to someone. Uh, it's a little tiring if i can be honest i'm a little bit tired of hearing about voodoo in these comic books as soon as you see the word haiti you're like oh great yeah i wonder what we're doing here i wonder what we're doing in haiti you can just go to any corner store according to these comic books in haiti and buy voodoo just buy it you know you just walk into the jungle and if you see a campfire yeah there's a man there selling voodoo you say hello i'd like to murder a bunch of people right Uh, could you make me something to do that they don't even ever ask questions. They're just no. like, yeah, it's never like, does this sure. person deserve it? Or no. w- like, what are you, what are you talking about? It's just like, yes, I'm a seller yeah. of voodoo. It's Here you go. Business. Keep the business it's, going. Yeah. It's what I do. Yeah. That's it's, how you ha- make money. it's Haiti's number one export is voodoo. Voodoo. Max finds a voodoo practitioner who has Max dip his hand in a pot of boiling liquid. When Max does... His hand does not get burnt. It's not even hot. Yeah. And that bestows upon him the ability to draw something, then destroy the drawing, and that object will be destroyed in real life. But, sounds great, doesn't it? But Max had previously painted a self-portrait, which now puts him at extreme risk. Yeah, um, and not only, I, I think if he just left the portrait that he had self-painted uh, before the voodoo purchase, if he had just left it as it is, I think he would be okay. But what he did is he just didn't believe that anything happened after putting his hand in boiling cauldron and having nothing happen. He's like, well, nothing happened there. I'm, and I, I, got, I got ripped off for my voodoo purchase. I'm going to go finish my self-portrait. And so uh, he went home and that's what he did. He finished. He touched it up. And I think that touch up is what uh, 
got the magic on it. Yeah, it was a bad call. First bad call. Bad, bad first call. bad call of these uh, these issues. Yeah, yeah. Big I time. would you gotta, suggest you, you got to trust that. You got to trust that purchase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, your hand it was boiling, and your hand didn't get burnt. You got to just you yeah, got to go something, with that. Something happened. Something was going. Something on. Something magical happened there. Would you have believed it if you burnt your hand? I, I don't know. No, no. Um, I I I gotta believe that in every one of these stories somebody makes a bad call yeah that's there's for a bad sure call true. every single one of these there's at least yeah there's at least one and it's like a big time bad call it's like yeah they're life-changing bad calls it's like yeah it's life-changing so it's time for payback and mark not mark max max draws a picture of his landlord who previously kicked him out and then erases his leg then he hears a crashing of a car outside and sees his landlord's leg has been run over by a car. Next is the art critic. He draws a picture of him and erases his eyes. Then across town, the critic screams in pain as his wife has flung acid into his eyes and says, quote, There, that will fix you. Now maybe you'll spend more time with me. What? Listen. listen. What? It sounds like... It sounds like that relationship was already headed down a path, a bad path, a dark path. I'm not sure the painting had anything to do with this one. <laughs> yeah. And also, you think throwing acid in someone's eyes is going to make them spend more time with you? Yeah, maybe now. I don't think so. Maybe now you will. Yeah. Maybe now that you're blind, <laughs> you'll want to spend more time with me. The person that blinded you. This was the worst line in the entire 12 Awful. stories. Oh, this yeah. lady, she has no idea about anything no. if she thinks this is going to work. No, that, that's why I'm saying I don't think the painting had much to do with this. I think she was she was going to be doing something like this uh, one day. Yeah, I, I was yeah. thinking it was going to be like, OK, there uh, now maybe you won't cheat on me anymore. Or now maybe you won't <laughs> nope. hit me or beat me anymore. Or now now you won't try to kill me anymore. no. This dude just wasn't spending enough, enough time with her. No. Dude, this is a this is a red flag to all guys out there. Yeah. Look <laughs> out. Flag. This is bad. If you get thrown acid at you, it's time to get out of that relationship. I Sp think. Spend more time with your significant other or <laughs> risk being maimed by acid. Risk acid. What this one taught me. Now, next is the crooked art dealer. Max draws his picture and erases his hands. And in the back room of the gallery, the art dealer shrieks in pain, having caught his hands in the mat cutter. But now it's Max's turn. A billboard sign painter accidentally knocks his bottle of turpentine off his scaffolding. It falls through a skylight in Max's apartment, landing on his self-portrait and causing all of the paint to run and smear. And at that same moment, Max falls into the subway onto the tracks, and is horribly and gruesomely killed. Now, I liked this one. Oh, yeah. Go going back to the name Drawn and Quartered. Yeah. I thought that was pretty intelligent. It's uh, it's an inventive story and really gruesome art of his self-painting yeah. when the turpentine yeah. hit it. Uh, man, did it look... It looked rough. Like, it was... Good stuff. It, was, it looked like he was mangled from that, so... 
It pretty much looked like what it would look like if your face got hit by a subway. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, I, like I, I love this one. This is a perfect start to the issue, uh, this type of story. Uh, I, I just I, I love the the different idea that he's, you know, going around painting, uh, painting all these people he wants to get revenge on and then erasing things. Great. And then it's actually very smart, in my opinion, uh, with what they do with his self-portrait. Some of these are going to be dumb where it's just like, oh, really? Like that's you just kind of wrote your way out of that corner, just like yeah. with something unbelievable. <laughs> this I thought was really smart of why he would have it in the room with the skylight because he first puts his painting in a safe and there's no air in there. So he starts suffocating. So he has to take his painting out of the safe. So he needs to put it in a room with a window, but he still wants to be able to lock it. So he has a closet that has a skylight and he can lock the closet. So he puts it in there and he he puts the, he opens up the skylight a bit so that some air can get in there. And then, yes, the paint or the, the, the turpentine, can of turpentine falls through the skylight onto his painting. I thought this was actually really smart and just a, a really fun issue or a really fun story to start the issue. Agreed. My only beef is whose closet has a skylight. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's all. I, I don't feel know. The, uh, the 50s. Right. Yeah. Everything Am else. Right? <laughs> everything else is completely believable. Yeah. <laughs> believable, yeah. but not not that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up, the borrowed body. Fred and Sandra are in love, but Sandra is married to Herbert. Oh fuck! Here we go. That's a problem. I see where this is going. I see right away. Easiest thing to do: kill Herbert. Oh yeah. So they try. Yeah. But after Fred is unable to kill him with a pipe. Fred is hit by a car. Now, listeners, just bear with us with this one. All right. <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna go places and you're gonna be scratching your head. We're scratching our head, but it's not gonna go the places you think it's gonna go. <laughs> hang in there. It's not going anywhere yeah. good, but just hang in there. No. We'll no. get past this one and we'll go to some others. Yeah. Yeah. Fred is rushed to the hospital as Herbert rushes home to confront Sandra. Now Herbert knows his wife wanted to kill him and that she still does want to kill him because she grabs a fire poker when he comes in and she does kill him at the exact same moment that Fred dies in the hospital. And if you paid attention in science class, what happens if that happens is that causes something very strange and weird to occur right. and it causes Herbert's consciousness to move into Fred's body. So, the new character I'm calling Fredbert. Nice. For okay. lack of anything better. So yeah. Fredbert runs out of the hospital back to Sandra. So it's Fred's body. It's Herbert's consciousness. Fred and Sandra tried to kill Herbert. Herbert's running around now as Fredbert. So he goes back to Sandra. And she's very surprised to see Fredbert who tells her he's really Herbert in Fred's body, and he kills Sandra before falling dead from his own injuries. And that's the story. That's that. That's it. That's it. I'm not half done. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> that's the end of that's that one. That's how I felt about this one. An abrupt ending. Yeah. I do want to throw one thing in here. Yeah. Because I did really like some of the writing uh, mm. as, as Sandra was getting killed. And uh, it just made me think of the Twilight Zone. Oh, okay. And it goes like this. High up over Swank Park Avenue, from the elaborately furnished penthouse apartment of Herbert and Sandra Dorsey, 
comes an ear-splitting shriek that echoes over the dark, silent building. A shriek of a woman in the throes of death. You have just entered the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I Excellent. threw that last part in, but... Oh, that wasn't written in there? You have entered no, the Twilight Zone? Just, when I was reading that, I was like, this is really, yeah. really good writing. And it was the best part of this uh, this uh, story for me. Uh, yeah, so... um. Yeah, the story wasn't good. It's not good if I have to stop while I'm reading and like maybe go back a couple panels and like think like, oh, okay. Or like, wait, what happened here? Oh, okay. They they switch bodies or like he died at the same time that this guy died. So one of them's alive now. I missed that day of science class, I think, because oh, I didn't know it. that. You're I a rebel. Skipped it. I was. Yeah, I skipped a lot of days. I skipped that day of science class and uh, I, I didn't I did not understand what was happening Two, two bodies died. Why did one of them come back alive? Why did they why did one of them go into the other body and then it come alive? I, I just don't get this at all. Also, you got a couple plotting to kill the husband. Don't do it yourself. You know, you got you got to hire someone else. Fred, you don't just follow him in a dark alley and kill him. You don't can't chase him with a pipe. You know what? You know who they're gonna look at first? The wife's, uh, <laughs> the wife's uh, the new lover, boyfriend, the lover. That's who they're gonna look at first. So maybe you shouldn't actually be in the area where he dies. I get the feeling like when these comics were written, the police didn't even exist because oh. the, the thought of police yeah. and repercussions is non-existent in these stories. There's one coming up that is ridiculous of, of how they're just like, okay, yep, that'll solve the case. The worst part about this one was that it was seven text-heavy pages to yeah. read what I just explained Nothing. in like 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to Indian Burial Mound. Now, I did have concerns when I read this title that this possibly could be quite racist. Yep. And I'd like to say they did a very good job of not doing anything like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, aside from just the idea of it, but yes. Yeah, aside yeah. from the idea, but they cut, yeah. Beyond the idea, they don't even do anything. And right. e even yeah. with the idea, they kind of just, they generalize it in the story. Yeah. Yeah. It could have just kind of been just like. It could have just been burial mound. It didn't have to a, have. A burial mound. Yeah. A mound with India. bodies in it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hiram Becker is selling his farm. Roy has come to buy it. Roy is going to turn it into a flying school once he bulldozes and levels the, levels the land. Problem is, there's a burial mound on the property, and Hiram says he doesn't recommend destroying it. Anyone who violates the resting place of the dead will be punished by their spirits. Roy says, that's just superstition. Roy starts clearing the land and gets to the mound. He starts to clear the mound, but his bulldozer dies. Then he finds a skull in the mound. Then thunder and lightning and rain come down. Hiram takes off. Roy runs into the house. Later, Roy hears drumming and a beating at his door. The next day, Hiram comes back to find Roy dead on the floor. He had been scalped. And the mound had been repaired. Uh, this was another snore fest for me. Uh, same, same, Tim. The, this, this was another one where I got to the end and I'm like, oh, that's the end. It, 
<laughs> it's yeah, over just, now. And we didn't even really see anything. I guess scalped is another inappropriate yeah. thing that they didn't have to do. It could have just been yeah. like, I would have preferred head cut off. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, this wasn't the greatest. I didn't, I didn't like no. it for, you know, the tones of it. And then it was just boring. Like, yeah, we saw nothing. Yeah, exactly. It was just, we were just being told that this guy died. Nothing cool happened. The coolest part was this guy's bulldozer just like dying halfway up this hill. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah. The, pa- that the was... powers of the undead have have yeah. killed the bulldozer. Awesome. That was the coolest part. <laughs> was a bulldozer going up a hill and dying <laughs> yeah. up the hill. That was the coolest part. And then the hill repaired itself. Like, I would have rather had somehow that bulldozer's now like haunted and oh, that'd be great. chasing him in the night or something. That would have been excellent. That maximum like, overdrive. I yeah, I thought it was going that way too when it was like, oh, okay, it's dying there. They leave it out there. It's definitely coming back and it's gonna chase them. Nope. Just the oh, the hill repaired itself and that guy's found dead. That's it. Wow. The the hill also threw the bulldozer into a creek or something. That was cool. True. Yeah, that was. Yeah. That was impressive. Yeah, bulldozer was the star of this of this uh story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All the cool stuff happened to the bulldozer. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Political poll. Mayor Fulton has beat his opponent, Cyrus Magnate, three elections in a row. But Cyrus says this time will be different. Cyrus goes to talk to Mayor Fulton, who invites him in for a nice lunch. It's very friendly. After the meal, Cyrus takes a small square of folded paper from his pocket and empties the contents into the mayor's drink. The mayor drinks it and falls over dead. Cyrus leaves the poison packet and a fake suicide note. Problem, though. A gust of wind blows through the house, sending the note under a cabinet, and it isn't seen when the mayor's body is found, making this look like a murder. Later, the police would find the note. That note, along with Cyrus working up the townsfolk into a fury that the mayor was crooked all these years, has them wanting to dig up his coffin. They say he's not worthy of being buried in the cemetery. They wrap his coffin in chains, take it out to sea, and throw it overboard. This was uh, the first bit of art that I really enjoyed in this issue. Uh, It was a great panel in the water with uh, Cyrus and the new mayor going fishing. I believe there's like a seagull in the foreground and... Uh, kind of like calm water on the right-hand side, but an impending storm on the left-hand side. Thought it was quite good. Overall, yeah. I wasn't impressed with the art in these issues. I feel like it fell yeah. off from what we've previously seen. I would say the writing has also fallen off, uh, but there's still some some fun stuff in here. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Out at sea, Cyrus's anchor gets stuck on something. A storm rolls in, and out of the sea crawls the rotting body of Mayor Fulton, dragging Cyrus back into the sea with him. Now, this is, this is dumb. This is just dumb. I'm sick and tired of movies and comics not understanding the magnitude of the fucking sea and ocean. Yes. You can't just say, I'm going to look for something in the ocean and find it. You can't just go fishing in your boat and happen to catch your anchor on a fucking coffin you dropped in there a year earlier. The chances of that are just ridiculous. 
you, you have a way chances. You have a way better chance of dying at the same time as someone else and taking over their yeah. body <laughs> that than is, trolling yeah, the, the ocean floor and hooking yeah. <laughs> your anchor on a coffin. <laughs> that so you put in there. A fuck year off ago. <laughs> with this idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but uh, here's what I like about it. Oh, you, what do you um, like about it? Not like as a whole. Just no, no, like I, small I, I, pieces. I know, I know. Let's touch on the, let's touch like on some good along. stuff about it. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I liked the gust of wind blowing the note under a table. I thought that that was good. That was a good idea. Um, it's pretty funny that if that note is there, then they're like, "Oh, we don't need to investigate at all. This is a suicide." But if the note's not there, they're like, "It's a murder." That's just how you do police work in the fifties, I guess. It's if you find a note, suicide. If you don't find a note, it's murder. Right, um, and and it was all about like, if it's a suicide, he can't be buried in the church yeah. cemetery because suicide is a sin. But yes. that didn't happen, so they did bury him there. But he yeah. was able to rile the troops by telling them all these things, all these bad things the mayor had done. Which yeah. I, I was, I was like, okay, he's just gonna make shit up. But it turns out it was all real, which it <laughs> right, didn't it need to be. It didn't need to be no. real. Just ha- it's better if Cyrus is just making it all up. But they're just yeah. like, no, this guy was a terrible person, so we're gonna move his coffin out. I don't know, man. But There's they just some... the crypt the crypt keeper told us that in like the postscript. Like the the crypt keeper was just like, <laughs> oh yeah, and by the way, he was yeah. a, a piece of shit. This yeah. guy was actually a piece of shit. So good riddance. And it's like, wait, well he didn't. That actually makes the story worse <laughs> if he was a piece of shit. Every issue. Uh, you've got either like the crypt keeper or the witch or the keeper of the cauldron. There's like three different characters. They each tell their own type of story. They all have like the final word. There's right, a paragraph yeah. of them saying something. I feel like that's the editor fixing, like fixing the story yeah. where it's just right, like, Oh, yeah. by the way, this, this, and this that. In. Yeah. Really yeah. quickly. In case you wondered why this story sucked, it was because yeah. I, we didn't tell you this or something. So <laughs> yeah, they're, they're always there at the end to try to save it. Yeah, I I do like I do like the general idea that this guy couldn't be satisfied just that the other politician who wins all the time would be dead. He also wanted to drag his name through the mud. Yeah. So that dragging his name through the mud got him later killed because his body was then thrown in the water instead of buried in the church where it started. So I do like that it came back to get him because he was just like so obsessed with dragging his name through the mud. He just hated him so much. Uh, so I like that part, but I, I do get what you're saying. It shouldn't have been in like the ocean or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess he didn't even hook on the coffin. He hooked on the body. Yeah, because we didn't like, really they didn't see really a coffin. Make it clear that the body was like coming for him. So no. it was almost like he found the body, and then he like fell into the water because of that. I don't know. They didn't the body make it clear came up. This, the like, body grabbed him. Yeah, the body came up and grabbed him. But like, maybe if it just was going after him. Instead of him hooking on it, that would have been fine. Well, yeah, you need this body haunting him, not just like, oh, yeah. I've hooked on the body, and you pull yeah. it up, and the body's just like, what's happening? Oh, oh, hey, what? oh that's this the guy that killed me. <laughs> how yeah. how lucky. Yeah. Small C, hey? Small C. <laughs> All right, that's it for issue 26. And I'm happy about that because I would say that was by far the worst issue of the three. Yeah, I think drawn and quartered is the strongest, and the other three aren't as good. Uh, that would be correct. Yeah. <laughs> Up next, well cooked hams. You know, I mean, some of these titles are good, and some of them just leave me scratching my head. Yeah, this is one of them. Or I'm scratching. <laughs> just to be yeah. 
to be completely (laughs) clear. This one has a wild start where a shaggy man is trying to kill a hunchback. He starts choking him, but the hunchback throws acid on his face, burning it. The shaggy man grabs the hunchback and pushes his face on a red hot stove. So I'm thinking, holy shit, what is going on here? Same. I'm like, what am I reading? Yeah, this is wild. Great start. It turns out to only be a play. Yeah. The Paris crowd goes wild for it, though. They love it. The, The horror and the gore looks so real to them. In the audience are two Americans. They approach the owner wanting to bring the play back to America. The owner, uh, Matier, says it would be impossible. Only he knows the secrets of the horror effects, and he keeps them in a document in his safe. Why would you say that? Why would you, why would you tell anybody that? I guess you want to be murdered. Yeah. Would you, don't you know it's the 1950s? <laughs> don't you know how people roll? If someone wants to buy your play and you will not sell it, but you tell them where it is, they will murder you. If someone wants anything from you, you <laughs> have to say yes. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you have to say yes in the 50s or else you risk being murdered. You'll be murdered. Yeah. The Americans leave, but the scent of murder is certainly in the air. Oh, it for sure is. Later that night, the Americans sneak back to the office of Matier and find him there with the safe open. They shoot him in the face. This shocked me. Yeah. And steal the secrets. They head back to America, where they memorize the manuscript and secrets and then destroy it. Back in Paris, Matier's body has disappeared from the morgue. Oh, boy. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. You don't know what's going on? Isn't he was obvious? shot in the head. Yeah, he was his, shot in the head. His body's gone. Oh he's, no. He's looking for ghoulish revenge. Oh shit. Back in America, it's time for the opening show. The two men take on the roles of the Shaggy Man and Hunchback. They follow the script. One man throws the acid at the other's face. The other pushes his face on a red hot stove, but something's wrong. The damage to them is happening for real. They both fall dead in front of the audience who freak out. The entire theater is emptied, except for a lone man. In the middle of the audience, we see Matier sitting, watching with a bullet hole in his head. Eerie. Terrifying. That was a really, really eerie um, couple of panels. With, with just this, we're on stage looking out to the audience and there's no one there. It's a yeah. bunch of empty red seats, but right in the middle, halfway back and halfway down the aisle is a single figure. And then they zoom on and it's Matier with this hole in his head and blood okay. dripping out. And his face is white, like he's dead. Yeah. But yeah. what am, what am I even reading here? What What... What even happened? I don't even okay. understand what went down here. I understand a little bit, but not all of it. First of all, I could see it coming right at the beginning, but I liked it. I like the idea that like the play is so horrific and nobody knows how you do those horror effects and the answer is that they're real. Like I like that. Okay, so he's just idea. killing he's killing the actors every time? 
Yeah, I think so. And uh, so I like that idea that like, oh, at the end, at least at the end of the gore, the beginning gore, I think. Wasn't there wasn't there a panel where like those actors are backstage after? I don't think they're backstage. They're like smiling at the end of the play, but I don't think they're backstage. So I don't think that they they was actually happening to them. I definitely didn't get the vibe that that, that's why I'm confused because I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that there was a panel with them just as actors. Like, you know, that's the end of the play. Okay. Everything's good. Then maybe he just knew that these Americans were going to kill him. So he set, he like fake set up that he had his script in a safe so that they'd steal it and kill themselves. Okay. Well, that's possible. That would be, yeah. that would be plausible because he's, he is in the safe. So he could have flipped. Yeah. Wow. He only would have had a couple of hours to, to create a new manuscript though. The timeline (laughs) there was pretty short, but I could buy that. Yeah. He only did one thing. He only added one thing because all the other things were real, uh, like were real effects. Like they did knife stabs that were like just fake effects and no one was getting injured. And it was just right at the end when they had this acid um, that they had to put together. Like it was an acid like mixture they had to make. So I like the idea that the acid mixture was real and it burned their face. But the guy on the stove, what is this? What is that? How do you not... He, you just got a regular stove and yeah. turned it on, and like, you're like, okay, a- yeah. In in the script, it says I won't get burnt, so it should be yeah. fine. That's what the manuscript says. It says get a real stove, <laughs> turn the element all the way to hot, and squish your, face, your face on it. it. It'll be fine. And this guy's like, great. That sounds great. I'm gonna be fine because I saw it in a play. It'll be fine. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah, this one's a little confusing, but I like the idea that horror effects are real. I like that general idea, but yeah, <laughs> I think. Uh, doesn't totally make sense yeah it wasn't the greatest execution but i definitely like the idea yeah i think it's very cool i think they just needed to refine it a little bit more yeah yeah i did have fun with it though for sure next up madam bluebeard uh i really like this one yeah Teresa is at the funeral of her husband the seventh one dead in as many years i mean Dude, that is that sounds so sketchy already. When when as a husband are you just like, I don't think I want to marry her. Yeah, what I what think number? Maybe after the second. I, I yeah, think that's what after I was thinking. she's had two husbands yeah. that have been died in two years. I think as that third boyfriend, you're just like, ah, I don't know. I think I'm gonna I think I'm going somewhere else. That's exactly the number is three. You're not doing it. No. And their their graves are all lined up in a row. What is There's this shit? Seven of them in a row. Yeah. This is where I this is where I bury all my hu- my dead husbands. Yeah. Right here. They're, this right, guy who is right seventh? This guy was she's had six husbands who have died by accidents yeah. in six years. And you're like, yeah, I'll be number seven. I will you marry you me? You don't want to be that guy. <laughs> no, you idiot. Earl, the first one, died in a boating accident where he went over a waterfall in the rapids. Howard fell off a cliff. Douglas's gun exploded his face. Shit. That was a good panel. Neil fell out of his office window. Warren's car was hit by a train. Peter was electrocuted in the bath. And Freddie, well, they don't tell us about him quite yet. Right. But wait. The Crypt Keeper jumps in early here, Dean. There's already a need to explain things. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) The Crypt Keeper tells us these weren't accidents at all. Then we go back to all the murders 
And we see that Teresa was the one causing them to happen. So this is a really cool idea. I was really excited at this point in the story. I was very excited, especially after Howard, because Howard falls off a cliff. So I just assumed she pushed him off the cliff. But no, it's much more elaborate. She pulled the ca- she pulled the camper up right next to a cliff. And then she called out for help from outside of the camper. <laughs> yeah. And he came running out and ran right off the cliff. Yeah. And that is amazing. That was amazing. His first step out the door is down a cliff. Off the cliff. Great kill. Yeah. Great kill. Great kill. Yeah, he was the second. The first one was Earl. Now, Earl knew about the rapids. He had his boat tied up to a tree, and he was just taking a nap. Teresa came out and cut the rope. Yeah. Douglas's gun was sabotaged. Teresa poured a molten hot lead in the barrel, blocking it. Neil was looking out his office window at a car Teresa was pointing out for him, and then she pulled the rug out from under his feet. I just I feel classic. like that's not going to work. That is classic, <laughs> but that's never going to work. It's awful. It just shoots him out the window pulling the it, rug from That doesn't from happen. Like you it's don't pull a rug and someone like someone gets air. It doesn't cause them to like fly into the air. They he would just so fa- they slide air. to the ground. They just fall to the ground. He got he got flown out that window. It was fantastic. Warren fell asleep in the car. So Teresa parked it on the train crossing. This was good. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Peter was bathing when Teresa dropped his radio in the bath. And Freddie, he likes to fly planes. So Teresa set up a wire on the runway to clip his plane while it landed. The plane crashed, but Freddie survived. He got out and Teresa finished him off by smashing his head with a boulder. Now, I can hear everybody out there wondering... What is Teresa's problem? Why are you murdering all these men? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. Her father left her mother when she was young, and her mother brought her up to hate men. The mother called them wild beasts, only good for money, and they must be destroyed. So on every anniversary of her mother's death, Teresa kills another man to avenge her. Freddy was the only one who knew because she came at him a second time with the boulder. Now at the cemetery, with the seven graves all lined up in a row, there's a whisper in the wind, the sound of Freddy letting the others know. Teresa heads to the cemetery to place wreaths on the grave, when out of the graves crawl the rotting corpses of all the husbands. They drag her under the ground, and make a new eighth grave in the row. Hell so yeah. this is fun, but w- what's the explanation of the undead rising out of the ground? It's just like that, oh, I, that can I, I just happen. It's, yeah, uh, I love this. I, I would have liked story, maybe a little bit more there, but I would have liked a yeah. bit more, but it's totally fine. I love the story. This is what uh, that uh, reader at the beginning was writing in about. They don't hold your hand through the story. They expect you to figure things out. And so here's what I figured out, Tim. If you didn't know you were murdered, you just rest in peace. Right. You're just fine. If it's an accident, you're just the first six husbands rest in peace. The seventh husband knew about it. And if you know that you are murdered, you are just free to walk out of graves. And that's what happens. The one who realized he was murdered told all the others that they were murdered too. And you get all seven coming out of the grave. Excellent stuff. Yes, yeah, it was fine. It was good. I liked it. Yeah, I, I had fun with it. Next up, return. 
Amira and Jim are in love and are married. For a couple months, life is good. But then Jim and his best friend Hal start up an air freight business. Myra and Jim will be rich, but it will require Jim to be away in South America for two full months. Myra doesn't want to be away from Jim, but understands. Jim says he'll write every day. But Myra only receives a single letter after the first month. The days turn into months, and the months turn into a year, and no word from Jim. Myra was beginning to think the worst until one day Jim shows up at the door. Jim said he wanted to write her, but he couldn't, and it's good to be home. They spend all night in each other's arms. But the next morning, Jim is once again gone. He left her a note saying he has to go away, but someday they'll be together for keeps. Till then, remember that he loves her. Then, in the next few weeks, Myra starts feeling ill and is told by a doctor that she's pregnant. Jim's business partner, Hal, comes to visit Myra and tells her Jim is dead. Myra says she saw him three months ago and she's pregnant. Hal says, that's impossible. Fifteen months ago, Jim was killed when his plane crashed. So... I like Jim's line to her. Okay. Of he has to go away, but someday they'll be together for keeps. Because he's right. like, because he's, <laughs> he's dead. He's yeah. dead. He's like, <laughs> yeah. when you die, we can finally be, we'll together, be together forever. Until yeah. then, you probably won't see me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that she had sex with a ghost and she's going to have a ghost baby. Yeah. It's, uh, this one was a little bit of a snoozer for me. Yeah, definitely. It's that it has one moment, you know, this one, this, this whole story has one moment in it. That's exciting. And it is that it is that she had sex with a ghost. Uh, I don't always love just like the, oh, it's a ghost. And I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so I land, it's like one instance. It's just like one thing happened. It's like, oh, that was a ghost. And that's the whole story. So yeah, I was a little, little bored by this one. I didn't see it coming, which I appreciate because lots of these are just Fair, like yeah. within the first sentence, you're like, oh, this person's going to murder this person. And that's going to be it. Or this person's going to crawl out of the ground and, and get revenge. True, yeah. Or this person's going to troll the entire sea bottom yep. with an anchor and find a single dead body out of the entire sea. Yeah. That he caused the death of. Yeah. All right. Great. You good with that one? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm good to uh, never return to return. <laughs> Sounds good. Next one, horror, headed off. Marquis de Rochemont and his servant Louis walk a dark alley in Paris. They come to a door where they knock and say they want to buy flirtily flowers. And that's code. The Ooh. man says, do you have the money? They say yes. And will he help them flee Paris? Because Marquis de Rochemont, his head is wanted by the authorities. Money is exchanged and Marquis de Rochemont is picked up by coach at midnight. This is, however, a trap. He's placed under arrest and killed by the guillotine. Rochemont's servant, Louis, claims the remains to give him a proper burial. Louis goes to talk to the man who double-crossed them and shows him a chicken that gets its head cut off. Louis says, look, a chicken can go on living without a head for some time. Why not a human being? Why not? 
Later in the evening, as the man is relaxing by his fire, he hears footsteps outside. He goes out to investigate and sees Louis guiding the headless body of Marquis de Rochemont towards him. Louis guides the body right to the man who quickly loses his own head. This one, obviously, shit, right? But <laughs> right. seeing Louis, who's like this, yeah. he's very small, a very small person. Yeah. Barely larger than Rochemont's waist. Just yeah. holding his body from behind and like walking yeah. him in the direction of this man made me laugh. And I, yeah. I loved the visual. It was just so funny that, of course, this guy has no head. So he's he's clearly, you know, still alive and capable of murder. He just needs someone to guide him. So I almost yeah. wish I almost wish what we had here was Louis like on his back in a backpack or on his shoulders. You know, yes. it's like the it's the, the 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 trope I love with the little guy and the big guy getting together, the brains and the yeah. brawn, and, and then they like right. they just the team up. The team up. Yeah, that's what that's what's going on here. But it's just Louis yeah. for pushing his pushing the man's bum from behind, just like leading him where to go <laughs> down this dark alley is hilarious. You're right. That is the key because uh, a lesser story just has this headless guy going around by himself, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and you're like, how does he know where to go? How right. does he know? The plate, he can't see anything. So I love, yeah, I love that he's directing him. When I got, when you get that cut behind him and you got this little guy pushing his bum around to like direct him where to go, I did ha crack a smile. I did really like it because like before when he was talking about the chicken being <laughs> his head cut off, like he said a chicken lived for like a month or something without a head. And it's like, <laughs> that's ridiculous, yeah. man. That did not happen. So uh, yeah, I did love this part of it. That actually saved the story at the end for me. All right, on to our final issue, issue number 28. We start off with Bargain in Death. It is 1928. Sid and Mel are in university. They can no longer afford the lab fees, which cover the human cadavers they've been dissecting. What if... No, they couldn't. Wait, what if they supplied their own cadavers? Yes, yeah. So excited. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, across town, Alex and George are coming up with a scheme of their own to fake George's death to collect 40000 in insurance money. They can shoot him with a serum that will slow down his heartbeat and entire metabolism. Three hours after he's buried, Alex will dig him up. So they go through with the plan. But Alex has no intention of digging George up. He wants all the money for himself. George wakes up buried alive. I was studying this panel where he's like yeah. in in the uh, coffin. They yeah. they make it look really cool. Like I they turn his body. It's like he's like fully green or fully purple or something like that. And then the coffin is like fully yellow or some different color. Like they really make it stick out. And uh, it was scary and made me start to think what it would be like to be buried alive. And I think it could possibly be the worst thing, the worst way to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't Definitely. know. I, I can't, I mean, other than, other than being like physically tortured, which this actually would be as well. Um, man, I just started getting terrified about this. Yeah, I definitely have like claustrophobia um, being in an area where I can't do something that I'd want to do. Yeah. So like sit up, I'd just freak out right away that I can't sit up and 
even though I wanted to. So just like I, I would lose my mind in, in the coffin. Um, that would be a horrible way to go. Yeah. Sid and Mel from the university saw the death notice in the newspaper and have targeted George as their new cadaver. They pay Clem $5 to help them dig. As they're digging, George is quickly running out of air. It takes several minutes for them to get to the coffin. They finally get it open, and George darts up, gasping for air. Sid and Mel are scared shitless and go running out of the cemetery. Just as Alex, fresh off of collecting the insurance money, drives past in his brand new car. He swerves to miss them and crashes and dies. Later that night, Clem shows up at Sid and Mel's room, asking for his $5, because he's provided the cadaver. At his feet lays the body of George, head crushed from the blow of Clem's crowbar. Hell yes. Wow. This one this was one's awesome. <laughs> there was a lot going on, and I definitely didn't see that the ending that we were going to get. I didn't know where this no. one was going to go. <laughs> And it was great. It's all about this guy, Clem, who's willing to kill someone for $5. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's what it's about. Yeah. It's just, this one's my favorite one, I think, of all of them, because it's got this cool narrative that none of the other ones have. And it's that you can tell right away where you're headed, and then you just watch both parties right. get there. And then the end's different than what you thought. So, like, we see right away these two kids that want a, that are going to create their own, dig up their own body to bring uh, to the to to their work because they want to like do better in school. Love that idea. You got two guys who are going to fake a death. You're like, okay, we're headed towards them digging up this guy's body yeah. and he's not actually dead. Yeah. Perfect. But then you get to the end and this guy that they paid five bucks to just help them dig up the body <laughs> kills the guy that's actually alive. He wants his and five delivers bucks. the body for his five bucks. I was already thinking like five bucks to dig up the dead body is already like really low. It's a really that's good a deal. Really low amount. Yeah. It's a really good deal. And they got the murder out of it. Uh, Alex like looking off and getting in a car accident right there like right when that uh when they're finding the body that's alive is great i would have loved if his body got thrown into an open grave i mean it's it's a lot of extra um goof on it but it's just like that's where i was headed as his car was rolling i was hoping his body would get flung into an open grave but this one's great like i, I had such a fun time with this one yeah well i mean Clem, he should have just gone and grabbed uh, like Alex's body, which is exactly. dead in a car right now. He could get ten dollars dead right there. That's another like <laughs> added layer to it that makes it even better. He's dead right there. There's a dead guy, and you still killed him. He could have got five dollars without murdering anybody, or ten dollars yeah. with a murder. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I, I would have <laughs> would have loved a panel of like Clem just thinking when he sees this live body. Of him just pondering, like, how am I going to get my $5 out of this? Yeah, <laughs> I like, don't get five bucks I only now. see one way out of getting to get my $5, and it's murder. They said body, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm screwed. I'm screwed out of five bucks. That's a good one. Yeah. Next up, Ants in Her Trance. Mrs. Justine Fleetwood has hired renowned hypnotist Leopold Minetti for her dinner party. Manetti brings his wife, Yvette, to be the subject of the hypnotism. He puts her under and tells her to cry, and she does. He tells her to perspire, 
and she does. He tells her to stop her heart from beating. Uh, what? Yep. And she does. She does it. Manetti tells his wife to snap out of it, and she snaps out. Later at the party, Manetti makes eyes with another woman. He sets up a date. On that date, he tells her he fell in love with her. She's upset because he's married. He says, well, what if he wasn't married? Would that change things? And she says, why, yes, that would. She's like, um, let me think about that. Yes. Yeah. He's like, you make marriage sound like it's a big deal. You, you <laughs> know, I can get out of that, right? It's I can very be not easy. Have you ever heard of murder? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, not divorce. Get un- Have you ever heard of murder? <laughs> that's how you get unmarried. He's like, I, that's There's the an easy way thing. out of this one, Tim. And it's divorce. It's easier than actually getting married in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy. Yeah. So the next event, they have Manetti stop Yvette's heart, but he says the incorrect words so she won't snap out of it. Oh, and Yvette wow. dies. Wow. The police call it an unfortunate accident, and Manetti goes away with his new love. He says they should wait a year before they marry. After a year, he says they should visit a vet's grave to make the story look good. But they get locked in the cemetery, and a vet crawls out of her grave and kills them. This is some, <laughs> this is some lazy shit here, man. Well, because he said the words. He, 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 he said, said the words? He said he... Yeah, he said the words to snap her out of it. He's, he's supposed to say, come out of it to get uh, to get his wife to snap out of the hypno- being hypnotized. And so his girlfriend was going crazy at the cemetery, just being like, I don't want to be here. I never wanted to come here. And he says, come out of it. And so then <laughs> why the would body... You, why would you say that to someone? What does <laughs> that mean? the body... Come out of it? Comes out of being okay. hypnotized and kills them. Okay, so... I like that. So I'm, I'll, I'll retract my lazy comment because yeah. I didn't quite catch that. Now I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to go into it. That's way too forced to have somebody yeah. say, oh, yeah. come out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Also, also uh, his girlfriend here didn't want to be at the cemetery at all. Like she freaks out immediately. She doesn't want to go see the grave. She, she reminds them that they're murderers, but he doesn't tell her they're going to see the grave till they're at the grave. Like, how did he get her there? She doesn't want to be there at all. How did he get her there in the first place? That, to me, is the lazy writing, that they're just at a gravestone. And he's like, ah, here, it's uh, my wife. We should uh, we should be here. And she's like, I don't want to be here. Why did you come? How did you get here? Why did you come into a cemetery? How do you get locked in a cemetery? Things might have been different in the 50s, but have you ever seen a cemetery that even has a fence? No, never. It's just all open, so you can go and visit your, your loved ones. Yeah. This has some sort of like giant 10 foot fence, like a prison. Yeah. Yeah. They're locked. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Come out of it, Tim. Pretty good. It was pretty good. I, I liked what they were doing. The ending. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I needed another entire page just to wrap stuff up. Yeah. Um, it's fine. They didn't need to murder her. That's what, that's where I'm like, this one's a little bit of a stretch because there's no requirement of the murder. <laughs> like, I just don't really understand it. Um, yeah, just get a divorce. Just get a divorce. And then you don't have to have murdered someone <laughs> that you apparently love. Yeah. Next up, 
A corny story. Mr. Everett is tired of old people working for him. He fires Carlo, the last oldie at the company. Carlo had been working there for 20 years, ever since his family in Haiti came to America. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I wonder where this is we going. We know what this means. You see the word Haiti, you know what's you know, coming. You know where this is going. So Carlo heads back to Haiti and speaks to a practitioner of voodoo. Then we see that Everett has received an old, dead, gnarled tree, and it's from Carlo. It's meant to ward off old age. He says, hey, you hate old people? This will keep you young. In the coming weeks, Mr. Everett begins to feel more energetic. He was feeling better in the mornings, playing the best golf of his life. He was hitting the nightclubs. His wrinkles were starting to disappear. The tree that was once dead, with no leaves, now seems to be younger and full of leaves. Soon, Mr. Everett didn't need to shave anymore. He started going to children's baseball games. (laughs) This made me laugh. (laughs) It's like, what? The fuck is he doing in a children's baseball game? (laughs) He skipped work to go to those games. (laughs) Is that what you do when you feel youthful? It's like, oh, I'm feeling so young today. I'm going to go to a child's baseball game. Yeah, that's what you do with your peers. Hey, at least he didn't murder anybody there. Yeah. Everett starts to get smaller. His suits don't fit anymore. Everett starts wearing children's clothes and playing with electric trains. Soon, he forgets what that tree even meant. One morning, Everett falls out of bed and couldn't walk, so he crawled for the day and played with blocks. He crawled past the old tree, which was now just a sprout. Soon, Everett was a hungry baby. Howls of hunger filled the house. Soon the cries were from a newborn, and soon even those cries died away. Laying on the ground, where several months earlier Everett had planted the tree, lay only an acorn. This one was awesome. I'm a big fan of this idea. I'm a big fan of the the guy who's firing all the old people in the company because um, he's obsessed with having youthful uh, workers there gets a gift that is basically uh, cursed him to de-age until he de-ages all the way to a baby. I love it. I love that it's not something that made him older. You know, I love that they went, okay, you hate you hate getting older. Here you go. Going to give you something that makes you even younger. And so he loves it for a bit. And then he starts turning into a child, starts turning into a baby. And then he's, you know, he's dead. He's gone. Great idea. Reminded me of like a Stephen King story. I feel like this could be like a Stephen King type movie. Um, very cool. Uh, the only thing that like I didn't, I, I wish there was a bit more of, nobody seems to comment that he's a child. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> They're just like, oh, hey, your clothes don't fit anymore. It's like, also, he looks like he's 10. (laughs) Maybe you should mention that. There was one person, like his like butler or something, when he started to look like a teenager and his suits didn't fit, this guy's like, you're acting weird and I quit. It's like, he's not acting weird. He's like 20 years younger than he was two days ago. That's not weird behavior. behavior. That's fucking insanity. It's like something. He's 14 years old. Yeah. Don't you know voodoo when you see it, man? Yeah, man. Very creative, though. And you're, you're right. The key is not making him older. It's making him younger. It's like, we'll yeah. just give you what you want. Yeah, it's that be careful what you wish for type story. So it's, yeah, really cool. Yeah, and then the title I liked after reading it. 
a corny story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A corny, a corny. Now, finally, the ventriloquist dummy. Ten years ago, Charles Jerome was a famous ventriloquist. After the death of a dancer on the same show he was on, Charles decided to retire. Larry, his old agent, has found him and offered him a chance to work again, but Charles refuses. The next day, Charles has had a change of heart. Larry finds it odd that Charles always covers his hand with a towel, but Charles says that hand is his livelihood and it must remain safe. It's time for his first return performance in a decade. His dummy, Morty, looks very real. Morty eyes up a beautiful woman in the audience and says, I'll see you tonight, honey, after the show. And the crowd loves it. They think it, they think it's hilarious. They love horny dummy. Yeah, they love it. They love it. After the show, Larry visits Charles in his room. Larry hears arguing. Charles opens the door and tells Larry that he's just tired and he needs to say goodnight. Larry goes back to his room and hears a scream outside. He goes out to find the woman from the show that Morty made a comment about dead. Larry goes back to Charles' room, but it's empty. He looks inside the dummy's box to find a dummy with no head. He also finds a small wig and a makeup set. Larry hears shouting. He rushes towards the bushes to find Charles with a meat cleaver chopping off his own hand. But it's not a hand at all. It's a grotesque, shriveled, ugly little head with fangs. Charles, lying on the ground bleeding, says the hand killed the dancer all those years ago and took his body over again tonight. Larry rushes off to find a doctor. When he returns, he finds Charles torn to shreds and the severed hand laying dead next to him. This is my happy ending one. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. This poor uh, Charles. Yeah, that's true. That's lived with yeah. this demonic head yeah. as a hand for His so long. Life. Yeah. All he wants is to be free from it. And he does get yeah. free. He cuts that he sucker off. Yeah, he dies in the yeah, process, that, but yeah, it's fine. It's good. Yeah, this one is um, gnarly and insane. Yeah. And I love it. Like this is the this is the level of um just like I don't know, grossness or like like just being that insane that I didn't think they'd go to in this comic that yeah. I love. Yeah, same. Like I just I it's a little his hand is just like it was a like growth at first and now it's like a has a face and like talks, but it doesn't look like it still looks like gross, and so he puts makeup on it yeah. to make it a dummy. Like even that little just addition to it is like amazing. Yeah, I love this one. I thought it was super gross and gnarly, and I loved it. Yeah, I agree. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I loved seeing that little yeah. that little gross gnarly little head. Oh yeah, and, and you know, like right off the bat, you you this was one you could read what was happening like really early on. You know, it's coming. You know, it's yeah. coming. But I didn't expect it to be like this little disgusting thing. I thought he just yeah. would have this like super cute little ventriloquist like live right. thing on his hand. But it's this yeah. disgusting. Like the way they drew this thing. Fuck yeah. man, it looked like Nosferatu that who had been like run over by a car or something. It was so yeah. gross. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I didn't think we were headed towards him cutting it off himself. Yeah. I didn't know we would go there. So I liked that too. He's just like, no, enough of this. Enough. He cuts off his own his own hands. Finally, someone who stands up for murder being wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This guy's the hero exactly. of the book right here. He's like, you can't go around killing the people. The guy, th- this yeah. hand did it twice. And he's like, that's it. You're dead. We're done. I will stop you. Yeah. I will stop you. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, that's always fun. I always love going oh. through those stories. Always a great time. I think I think that last issue overall was the strongest. I think I liked I liked three of those stories like a lot in that last issue. I think that was the strongest one. Yeah, I agree. That was really good. Cool. Well, that's it for this week. And we've got more terrifying content coming up next week. Stay tuned. And now that this episode's over, hey, if you're looking for a way to help support us here at Talking Back, there's a few ways you can do that. You can uh, just tell your friends about us, tell your family about us, tell someone about us, share an episode. You can also rate and review us on a podcast app. You can head on over to buymeacoffee.com and uh, leave a one-time donation of any amount. Or you can sign up to be a patron and gain access to exclusive episodes every month. And now that this episode is over, don't worry. Head on over to bfopnetwork.com. If it still exists, we don't know what's going to happen. May have killed everybody. (laughs) I may have. We promise you'll find something you like over there. If you don't, Dean will murder himself, bury himself, climb out of the casket, climb out of the ground, and murder himself all over again. Wow. Wow. Intense. Intense. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Dean, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week, we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia.